Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, January 26th. Day 11 of the 2023 Australian Open is officially in the books. We now know which two players will be competing for the right to be named the Australian Open Women's Singles Champion. It will be Elena Rabakina, last year's Wimbledon champ, taking on first-time slam finalist, but certainly a player who has been knocking on the door for the past few seasons in fifth-seeded Arena Sabalenka. Each of these players earning straight set victories on day 11 of this event. That said, if you watched either of those matches unfold, you know how competitive each of the first sets were, how competitive the entire matches were as each of the victors trailed at some point throughout the course of the match. And of course, here on today's show, what I plan to do for all of you listeners who either only caught the highlights or perhaps have yet to tune in is to recap each of those women's singles semifinal battles. Talk about what has allowed Elena Rabakina to make a second slam final in her past three events. Certainly, it starts with the first strike, power tennis, take the racket out of your hand mentality she plays with, match in match out. Now, it got shaky at times. We saw the first, I suppose, malfunction of the Rabakina serve that we've seen throughout the course of her six victories in Melbourne. And yet, she found ways to adjust. She found different ways to put pressure on Victoria Azarenka, who, by the way, I have some final thoughts on because I thought she played a fascinating match tactically yesterday against Rabak, and I think there's some insight from her tactics to be gained from Arena Sabalenka. That said, again, Rabakina. Now a two-time slam finalist as she makes the final here in Australia. I want to break down her victory. Talk, of course, about the overwhelming power tennis that her opponent in that final is also capable of playing. Arena Sabalenka ends the run of Magda Lynette. Straight set victory. That said, Sabalenka trailed early. She went down an early break to Lynette, who raced out of the gates as she has done so frequently throughout her run here in Melbourne. And yet, as we have seen, match in, match out not just here in Melbourne, but throughout the course of this 2023 season and really over the course of the past four years, whenever Sabalenka has played her best tennis again, she has that ability to just take the racket out of her opponent's hand. That's what she did. I'll break down what I mean, but there's your synopsis here to start today's show. My plan recap, day 11 of this 2023 Australian Open. Of course, if you're looking for a preview of the men's single semifinals, hop on over to the Great Shot podcast feed where we have previews of each and every day of this event. If you are looking to fill the tennis void with the ending of this Australian Open approaching, rest assured we've got you covered there here at Cracked Rackets as well. We are so thrilled to be broadcasting the 2023 ITA kickoff weekend. It is considered the ceremonial start of the college tennis season and certainly after an Australian Open that saw players like Ben Shelton and J.J. Wolf, certainly we've seen in the past, Cam Norrie, Danielle Collins, Jennifer Brady, all of these players with college ties having success on the Pro Tour. Who made the next version of that be? Find out by joining us throughout the course of this kickoff weekend. Our coverage begins Friday, 10 a.m. Eastern time, continues all the way through Monday's matches. We have 16 different regions we'll be covering throughout the course of the weekend. So yeah, we've got like 36, 40 plus hours of tennis available, all for free, 
all over on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel throughout the course of the weekend. It'll be myself, Gil Gross, Will Blumberg, and others joining us. So you should, too, be sure to be on the call again. Going to be a fun, uh, a lot of fun, a lot of high-level college tennis available for all of you on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel this weekend. That said, you didn't come here to hear about what we're up to at Crack Rackets. You want to know what's up at the 2023 Australian Open and, of course, the region. We are able to recap all the action day in, day out because of the support we get from all of you, because of the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. Promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest equipment at the best prices. All right. All of that out of the way. Only two matches to break down, so I can get into the weeds. Let's talk about Day 11, our Australian Open women's single semifinals. Let's start with Rabakina Azarenka. This was a fascinating match, and I, of course, want to get into Rabakina, who ultimately, again, takes this match in straight sets, 7-6-6-3 victory for the 22 seed for what it's worth on our GSP Ace of the Day segment yesterday. I took the over 21 and a half games in the match. I said it was going to get sweaty. 22 games on the dot. Shout out to the tennis gods for being very kind to me with yesterday's Ace of the Day selections, but the thing... I took most from this match was the way by the ways by which Victoria Azarenka went about pressuring Elena Rabakina. And look, big picture, the first strike tennis of Rabakina won out. Her ability to hit a big first serve, to set up the big first strike, as well as Victoria Azarenka is moving. And she might be moving better now than she has since 2012, 2013, 11 range when she was a number one player in the world. That's how great she looked this first month of the season. Even then, Rabakina plays elite power tennis. It's Serena Williams power tennis, country club style tennis. It's just take the racket out of your hand. The big stat from this match, Rabakina, 55 points won in the 0-4 to four shot rallies. Azarenka was at 36. Rabakina's ability to create free, easy points for herself, whether it was with the serve, whether it was with the first strike, whether it was on the return of serve, which she teed off on just countless Victoria Azarenka second serves throughout the course of this match. She found the ability to play on her front foot more frequently in the end. And as always, that's why Rabakina wins out. But the thing I gleaned most tact, uh, most notably tactically in this match, did you guys notice the way Victoria Azarenka looked to hold the baseline? The fact that Victoria Azarenka, who again, used her movement, her anticipation skills extraordinarily well to try and beat Rabakina to the spot, try to track down that first strike and hold her ground, take that ball early on the rise. That was the decision Azarenka made tactically because as well as she's moving, she clearly had the recognition of, look, you cannot give Elena Rabakina time. You have to find a way to take that time away. You have to find a way to get the ball on her body quickly, ideally with some pace so she doesn't have time to get into her backswing either. And that's what Vika managed to do. She took just about every ball she saw from Rabakina, whether it was on the off of the Rabakina return of serve or in particular on her own return of serve. She was on top of the baseline, taking it on the rise. And again, the same high and heavy play we saw from Azarenka against Pagula, she abandoned that. She didn't have time for those sorts of backswings to elevate that sort of ball. She played line drive tennis, tried to beat Rabakina to the spot. And 
again, had a lot of success doing that, particularly when attacking the second serve. And this was Rabakina's shakiest service performance of this entire event. She made just 57.8% of her first serves, but perhaps most notably, you could just tell especially towards the end of the uh, second set that she was rolling in the first serve more than truly unloading the 118, 125 mile per hour bombs that she's capable of because she was afraid that Azarenka was going to get a clean rip on the ball. And to Azarenka's credit, she won 59% of her second return points, uh, second serve return points, excuse me. She did. She knew. She recognized. I got to take that ball early. Got to find a way to put pressure on Rabakina whenever possible, and that's what Vika was able to do. But again, you look at the comparisons: weapons versus weapons. Rabakina wins seventy-six percent of her first serve points. Azarenka wins just sixty-three percent. Similarly, Rabakina wins just forty-one percent of her second serve points. Azarenka goes six of twenty-seven on the second serve in this match. Every time Elena, you you just can't hit kick serves against Elena Rabakina because that ball sits up in her strike zone and she tees off on it like Christmas morning. And I know some of you listeners, I don't want to say frustrated because you'd never get frustrated with me. You're all far too kind in that sense. But you don't always love my personal tennis anecdotes. Let me just say again, binary system. I'm a one, not a zero. I think if you saw me play tennis, you would say, as Will Cooksey, sophomore on the University of Michigan team's dad said, as others remarked and when we were practicing there over the course of the past weekend, practicing hitting, I should say, um, they go, oh, you actually are good at tennis, to which I always say, yeah, like binary system, one, not a zero. Point is, the reason I bring this up, I am six foot two. That is taller than a lot of the opponents I played throughout the course of my life. And when some of them like to hit the kick serve, but because they weren't as tall as me or there just wasn't quite enough action on the ball, that ball just sits up in your strike zone and you're able to bunt down on it. That's the best feeling in the world. And if I have that six, if I have success on that return, imagine what Elena Rabakina does on that return. Except you don't have to imagine. You can see it in Victoria Azarenka's second serve performance. It was just Christmas morning. She's hit her return so well throughout the course of this event, and that's been the biggest difference. Atlanta Rabakina, who has perennially struggled on the return of serve in her career relative to the service success, she's been typically a bottom 10 returner amongst top 50 players. She's been much better throughout the course of this Australian Open, breaking serve 35.2% of the time, which again, is still slightly below the average of a top 50 player. But if you're an average returner and arguably the best server in the women's game, that's a statistical formula to win a ton of matches. And as we saw for Rabakina again, as well as Azarenka did, as as good of a job as she did taking time away from Rabakina, holding that baseline, taking the ball early, being really aggressive and stretching Rabakina to the outer thirds. Also, something I noticed, Vika hit behind Rabakina a lot. I think Rabakina's got a great first step. I think she covers ground well. I don't think she's the most fluid, not the greatest at changing direction, which, by the way, most tall players aren't. Vika did a good job of exposing that. That's something you put, you know, again, I think... There were times when Vika, in trying to hold the baseline, was just overwhelmed by Rabakina's pace, and as such, she'd pop up a short ball, which Rabakina could get then pop. That said, Sabalenka, this version of her in particular, I think about the Vekic match, where as much power as Vekic threw at her, Sabalenka was even stronger in holding that baseline, in taking Vekic's pace and absorbing it, redirecting it, and dishing some back as well. Aggression worked against Elena Rabakina. 
And Azarenka didn't quite have the service juice to pull it off. And six double faults on the match, indicative of her need to play more aggressively. She hits 26 winners against 27 unforced errors. It's a pretty good performance considering the pressure Rabakina puts you under. Rabakina, 30 winners against 21 unforced errors. Both players pretty solid at the net. This was a really good match. Again, this was a fun one. And with how aggressive both players were on the return of serve you know there weren't the longest points physically in this match and guess what that fact certainly plays to the rhythm of Elena Rabakina who again is plus 19 in the zero to four shot category she's minus three in all the shots that went and uh, all the rallies that went over five shots but again overall in the match there were 140 total points played 49 of which went over five shots so just over a third but Again, the majority, 0-4, to four, and first strike tennis as we continue to see Elena Rabakina just plays at elite an elite level. And again, there were key points that you could turn to, certainly. Rabakina races out to the early lead, or certainly served for the set up 5-3 in set number one. But look, credit to Vika, who stayed the course, who faces a set point and fights it off, ultimately is able to get that break, and then you know is able to ultimately create some breakpoint chances of her own up love 40 uh, in Rabakina's five-all service game. But this is where I say the first strike tennis of Rabakina wins out. What does she do on three consecutive points from love 40 down? Three consecutive successful first strikes, gets to the breaker. The first serve wins out. She was able to find it more frequently in that tiebreak. Vika, a couple of sprayed backhands um, that she I'm sure she'd love to have back from those breakers, really the separator. But... Again, credit to Elena Rabakina. She is through to a second slam final. She's up to now a new career high, number 10 in the live rankings. It's crazy to say someone who has a slam title and now a second slam final in her last three slams and all within the calendar rankings is ranked 10 in the world and not five, but Wimbledon going to Wimbledon. I mean, again, Rabakina, 109 and 56 overall since the start of 2020. She's won two thirds of her matches for a two and a half year period for a 150 match sample size. She's now 30 and 10 overall at her last 11 slams, meaning she's averaging a you know a second week appearance at all of them. And while she's only made four second weeks, you know. In those four second weeks, three have turned into quarterfinals. Now two have turned into finals. One of them has turned into a title. You look for Elena Rabakina over this course of time as well against top 20 opponents. Rabakina, 22 and 21. You know, against the top 10, Rabakina, 8 and 12 overall. But certainly Azarenka flashed some top 10 tennis throughout the course of this month. The weapons are real. The talent is real. 23 years old, two slam finals. I've joked about it all week on this show how she hasn't, she's not a, a lock for the Hall of Fame yet, but she hasn't been eliminated yet either. And I saw John Wertheim tweet something about that today. Mini break listeners know we've been on that longer than he was. Not that I'm sensitive about those sorts of things. Um, look, she's the real deal. You just can't deny it anymore. To play the top 20 over 500 before you're turning 24 years old, even. For two and a half years consecutively, you look for her over the last 52 weeks against the top 10. She's three and three against the top 20. She's 12 and seven. Yeah, 
12 wins over the top 20 over her last 52 weeks. You look overall amongst top 50 players where those 12 wins uh, would rank overall amongst WTA players. It obviously trails Iga Sviantek, who in her last 52 weeks has 22 wins over top 20 players, but it would be second behind Sviantek. Maybe third. I haven't factored in Sabalenka's wins or some of the Australian Open stuff, but I'm pretty sure it's second right behind Iga Sviantek, and that is a testament to, again, second, all right, lock that fact in. Tweet that out tomorrow. Someone, listeners, we're 16 minutes in. I think you're still listening. I would be immensely grateful because we will be very busy with our ITA kickoff weekend broadcast. As such, we won't have the opportunity perhaps to tweet out some of the fun stats we like to do before an Australian Open final begins. Just tag at mini break pod, at AL Gruskin, at Cracked Rackets. Rabakina has the second most top 20 wins over the last 52 weeks, trailing only Iga. If anyone doubts she's a top-tier player, that stat right there is confirmation of it. Rabakina into a second career slam final. The post-mortem on Vika, man, did she play well. I mean, for her to get wins over Pagula, Keys, Kennan, you know, make another semifinal. I've mentioned this before, but since the start of August 2020, Azarenka's played 10 slams. She's 26 and 10 overall at the slams during that stretch of time. She's made the second week at half of them, you know, made the semifinals at least at two of them. Is it the prime version of Victoria Azarenka? No. Is it exactly what you expect from a former world number one at this stage of her career? It's what you hope for, and that's what Azarenka is providing. When she is healthy, statistically, she's consistently one of the 10 to 12 players who ranks top 25 in both hold and break percentage when she's healthy, and she seems fit, she seems focused. Do I think she's going to win one of the Sunshine Double events? I'm not there yet. Do I think this is the last significant, you know, a significant round of a slam we see Victoria Azarenka in this season? If she stays this healthy, she stays this fit, absolutely not. I was that impressed with Azarenka, who, let's be clear, has won 72% of her matches since the start of August 2020. That is not the worst stretch. You know, again, you win 72% of your matches for two and a half years, even if you've only played 100 of them. Her career win percentage is 70%. So, yeah. Still plenty of good Vika left in the tank. With that said, let's move on to semifinal number two. I will actually say my last thought, because I think we're going to miss 12 consecutive first serves at one point, and I'll talk about this when we preview the women's final, but she can't do that against Sabalenka because Sabalenka will do to Rabakina second serve what Rabakina did to Azarenka second serve. The other thing I would point to, if you don't believe me on the Victoria Azarenka form thing, 5-3 Rabakina, 40-30, set point on her serve. Azarenka hits this sensational on-the-run, down-the-line forehand pass. That epitomizes what sort of shape she's in. That epitomizes what sort of competitor she is. That epitomizes her form here in the month of January that she's pulling that shot off once again. So those are my final thoughts on semifinal number one. We are now fully prepared to move on to semifinal number two, Arena Sabalenka ending the miraculous run of Magda Lynette. Lynette into a second week uh, at a major for the first time after 29 previous attempts here at this Australian Open. It's her first semifinal, obviously, as well. And look, she gets off to the early lead against Arena Sabalenka. She races right out of the gates. And look, Sabalenka came out shaky, no doubt about that. But it was Magda Lynette who raced out to a two-love lead and, you know, manages to break Sabalenka at love 
right out of the gates and you start to think to yourself, oh no, is this where the Sabalenka blink comes? Is this is where all the progress she's made over the course of the past month will be for naught? That was not the case. Sabalenka, two double faults throughout the course of the match, makes 60% of her first serve. She only gets broken once in the course of a 7-6-6-2 semifinal victory to send her to her first slam final. You look for Arena Sabalenka. This match was on her racket. 33 winners to Magda Lynette's nine. 25 errors to Magda Lynette's 16. You look overall, zero to four shot rallies, Sabalenka, plus 14 overall, five-plus shot rallies. Lynette was only plus one. I mean, again, Sabalenka came out shaky. Once she got that break back, she was in command the rest of the way. And as good as Magda Lynette has been defensively against Garcia in the quarter, uh, in the round of 16, as good as she was defensively against Pliskova in the quarterfinals, against Conteve in the second round, the weapons of Sabalenka were just too much. They were a little bit more. They overwhelmed that forehand wing, and you could tell Lynette started turning to the slice when she got stretched in set number two, and that was just the kiss of death because now you're providing Arena Sabalenka time, and this version of Arena Sabalenka just can't be afforded any sort of time whatsoever. Sabalenka did a great job of changing directions. She wasn't afraid of approaching the Magda Lynette backhand when the situation called for it, even when Lynette was having so much success on that wing. And I think she caught Lynette off guard because Lynette's so accustomed to people picking on her on the run forehand, she would start to cheat over. And Sabalenka's like, nah, I'm not afraid of what you can do. My best is better than your best. And once again, for the what? 10th consecutive time here in this 2022-2023 season, excuse me, Arena Sabalenka's best was better than her opponent's best. And yeah, it's 10 consecutive victories. Just another ho-hummer of a 10-match win streak for Arena Sabalenka, who, again, uh, you look for her at the net, 7 of 8, 33 winners, 25 unforced errors, 6 aces. She dropped, you know, she played what? 6 plus 4, 10 total service games. She lost a total of 20 total points. So she loses 2 points of service game, which isn't great, but it's not horrible either. That's only 30. You got to win 2 more. You're halfway there if you're Magdalenette, who certainly played a lot of games competitively. There were a lot of 1530s or 30-all moments for Magdalenette, but... What Sabalenka has done all tournament long and what put that early match yips to rest is she finds a big first serve and her ability. She hit this one forehand scoop on the rise, plus one forehand into the open court. It reminded me of something I saw Stefano Tsitsipas do the day prior against Yuri Lachetchka. But like, I mean, again, the strength, the power. There were times when Lynette got Sabalenka stretched into the outer third, but because Sabalenka's a pretty solid mover, her strength, she just would beat Lynette to the spot down the line uh, after that angle opened up for her. Again, it wasn't Sabalenka's best performance of the tournament, but her still her good is still just that good. Like it's Serena Williams, Power Tennis, Country Club sort of stuff. If she wins a major, she will be an immediate inductee into the Country Club. Ten consecutive wins for Sabalenka. I mentioned that Rabakina, how impressive she has been since the start of 2020. She's won two-thirds of her matches, has been this player for so long. So has Sabalenka, who in the 2019 season won 70, uh, excuse me, 64% of the 61 matches she's played. In fact, Sabalenka's career win percentage is 67.5. She is one 
67.5 of her tour-level matches. Two-thirds rule for life. Her lowest season, she went 12-8 and back in 2017. She's been a top-10 player for four consecutive years now and, you know, is someone who we see competing at the WTA Tour Finals year after year with just how, uh, again, successful, uh, you know, what? How, I wonder how many consecutive Tour Finals it's actually been uh, for uh, let's see. Well, the thing is, the problem is they changed location, so it's not as clean to look uh, on Tennis Abstract, so I'll have to pop over, unfortunately, to Wikipedia for this number. But you look for Arena Sabalenka, who I like to joke around is the oldest 24-year-old in the world. She's been a top 10 player pretty much consecutively since 2019. Still just 24 years old. You look for Arena Sabalenka, who, by the way, has her own career stats page, not just the one Wikipedia page, no, the career stats as well. She made the WTA Tour Finals in 2019. 2022. Interesting. She's only, oh, she would have made it in 2020, but they didn't happen. Duh. Um, so she would have made it in four out of the last five years. 2021 was the only year she didn't qualify. How did Arena Sabalenka not qualify? Oh, because I'm looking at doubles. I was like, there is no way in the world that is right. Okay, let's try that again. Westoff, give me the rewind sound effect, please. And this is why them moving cities, by the way, is tough for the WTA Tour Finals because there's no just one clean Tour Finals logo label on Tennis Abstract. Sabalenka wins the Elite Trophy event. So she was a top 16 player because she makes the Elite Trophy event, which was the players ranked 9 through 16 that the WTA used to have. She makes that event in 2018. She wins it in 2019. She would have qualified for the Tour Finals in 2020 had they had it. She qualifies in 21. She makes the finals last year. So she's made the WTA Tour Finals in three consecutive seasons. She's been a top 15 player now for or excuse me, in two consecutive seasons for the WTA Tour Finals. But if she makes it this year, it's three. But she's been a top 16 player now. This will be her sixth consecutive year if she ends the year inside the top 16. Six consecutive years in the top 16, and she turns 25 later this year. That's remarkable for Arena Sabalenka, who, again, 117-50 and 50 since the start of 2020. She's won 70% of her matches over the course of the last three years. You look for her at majors, 34 and 20. I mean, in her last 11 majors, she's won 34 total matches. She's now, you know, into her first final. But again, in those last 11 majors, she's made at least the second week on six different occasions. She's made at least the quarterfinals on four different occasions, at least the semifinals on four different occasions, and now into her first final as well, all since the start of the 2020 season. Yeah. We, again, it feels like it's when, not if, for Rina Sabalenka, this first slam final was going to come, and it is not a surprise at all to see her reach it here with how well she played week number one, how well it's sustained. And to beat Vekic, Bencic, Mertens, this version of Magda Lynette, who's serving so well, she's been tested, and she's overcome every obstacle. You know, credit to Arena Sabalenka into the finals of a major for the first time in her career. Now, again, for Magda Lynette, I mentioned this yesterday, so I won't rehash it here too much. You're 22 in the world, career high. You're turning 31 very shortly. It's a little early birthday gift for yourself is I'm getting into Indian Wells, getting that paycheck. I'm getting into Miami, getting that paycheck. I get to play all the big events, clay court season, French Open. I'm probably seated. And last year, Lynette beat Own Jabur, round number one of that French Open. It's going to be a much more advantageous draw likely here at the French Open in 2023. 
If the serve sustains her ability to find the outer thirds, the relentless aggression, if she manages to continue to do that, look out the rest of the tour. Because again, this version of Magdalenette with how solid she is all around, how well she moves, how creative she is and improvisationally excellent she can be. She, she's looked, been a top 50 player. She's made seven of her, what What did I say yesterday? It's seven of her or eight of her like 22 career quarterfinals have come in the past year. That's a player who's playing their best. You know, again, it doesn't often happen after the age of 30, but maybe it will happen more frequently in this era. That's what Magdalenette is able to accomplish by making the semifinals at this event. I will preview the women's final in a full podcast. I will say this. Opening numbers. Sabalenka, 63.2% favorite according to Tennis Abstract. Sabalenka, a minus 135 favorite right now according to our friends at DraftKings. She was minus 145 actually when I looked earlier today. So people are taking that Rabakina line. I have a lot of thoughts on that match. I'm saving them for the preview podcast, which will likely be available over on the Great Shot podcast where we preview each and every match, although there's only two, four, five, uh, excuse me, four more singles matches remaining at this year's opening major. Of course, we'll have coverage for all of it here for you here at Crack Rackets. Shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the <laughs> of an any job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. Speaking of which, a lot of content in store for you Crack Rackets fans coming up this weekend as we will have so much of the ITA kickoff weekend event available for you for free over on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. Also got to give a shout out, of course, before we go to our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest tennis equipment. With that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast. Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.